It is my honor and pleasure to introduce our speaker this morning, who is really not a guest, but a dear friend of my wife and I. Pierre serves as a visionary leader at Ian Somerset West. Together with his wife, Helena, they have served as worship pastors and started their journey in ministry in 2002, attending ministry school for musicians in Stellenbosch, over and above completing their diplomas in theology and church leadership. Their student years led them to finding each other. Praise God for that. After getting married at an early age of 20, they continued to pursue their ministry. They got married at 20 years. Guys, this is doable. Wow, come on. And uh, a season of traveling with various worship teams in South Africa and abroad equipped them well in ministry experience and developed their passion for the local church. In 2006, they joined Every Nation Somerset West, and uh, November 2016, they became lead pastors of Every Nation Somerset West. Two things that really stands out about this couple to me is their passion for God. They are passion for God. And secondly, Pierre is multi-talented. The Every Nation World Conference 2016, he was the one behind all the production. The campus conference we just had this weekend, he was also behind the production. So let's give a warm welcome to Pierre. Thank you, Simon. Fantastic. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Lindile, thank you so much for allowing us to be here, for trusting us this morning with our worship team to minister to you guys, and uh, especially with the word this morning. I'm super excited for what God is going to do. I was really excited when I was told that we're going to be speaking about Jonah. It's a sermon series that we did two years ago, and we saw God do incredible things back home in Somerset West. So really excited to share this word with you. You saw the picture of me and my family. It was my wife, Liana, up here leading us in worship. And Alika's currently with my parents in Pretoria on their way here. Uh, she's been here this weekend. We haven't seen her since Thursday because we dropped her off so we can focus on the campus conference. But she'll be here uh, with us in the next service. So let's get into the Word of God. That's what we are here for. And I'm excited to find Jesus in the final chapter of Jonah today. We, we're talking about the gospel according to Jonah. And I was looking at that at again with fresh eyes this week and just completely impressed by how much is written into these four chapters. Uh, there's so many angles, and Adam Mabry just preached before me, and he had a, a whole other angle on what God wants to do through this story. And that's what I love about the Word of God. It's, it's endless. Someone once asked me when I just became lead pastor of the church back home, aren't you ever scared that you're going to run out of sermons? And it was an intimidating question. And I thought about that for a minute, and it, it actually went quite deep into my heart. I'm like, and I wrestled with it, and then I realized this, you know what, there's just endless messages in the Word of God. And the more you read it, the more you find, the more there is to discover, the more there is to learn. It's just infinite. It just keeps on going. It's the Word of God. So I'm so excited to share with you what I believe God has for you guys this morning out of the last chapter in the book of Jonah. The first week, you guys spoke about it's too difficult. Simon and, and Pastor Lerico did a fantastic job talking about that. It felt too difficult for Jonah to take this message to an ungodly people. And then the following week, you, I was listening to the podcast, and I, we had Savive on there, and he spoke about God who runs after the runaways. Isn't that amazing? And maybe you've been running, and you feel like a runaway, but you, you know what? God pursues us until He catches up, and He always does. So I believe even this morning... 
God is going to catch up with some runaways. And when I think about this story of Jonah, I would just summarize it as the God of second chances. Throughout this story, it's revealing a father, a God who just says, there's another opportunity with me. There's another way of life. And what I love about the story, it's both sides. It's not just for Nineveh, the sinful, rebellious city, but it was equally so for Jonah, a God of second chances. Over and over again. Maybe for Jonah, it was the God of ten chances. I don't know. We read the story and it's up and down for him. But that's the heartbeat of this book. So the gospel message is written all all over the story. It's showing and pointing us to Jesus Christ that's come and said, there's a second chance in me. There's a second chance in the gospel every single time. It's all about the heart of God for people, irregardless of where we've been, what we've done, who we are. God's heart is on display and He's saying, I love you and I've got something better for you. Just come to me and listen to my word. So this morning as we listen to His word and as I read this last chapter, Let's open up our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can speak to each one of us. In order for us to read chapter 4, I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 3 so that you know what just happened. And um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read the Word of God together. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat off the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came upon the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant? For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Lord Jesus, I pray as we look at your word that you would anoint it, that your Holy Spirit will back it with power and conviction, and that you would be the preacher to all of our hearts. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. What a crazy story. The appointed man of God who's upset that God moved with compassion and rather wanted to die. We recently had the privilege to go to the World Conference, and going to Orlando includes a trip to Disney World. 
And I thought about that. If we ever have the money, Simon, here's a business proposal, proposal to create Bible world, I think the roller coaster ride will be called Jonah. Because <laughs> this guy is just up and down the whole time. I'm the prophet of God. Well, will you please go to the people in Nineveh? No, God, I won't do what you want from me. I'm going to flee. Ends up in a boat. And then he ends down at the bottom. And then you know the story. Ends up in the, the, the fish. And then he repents, God, I'll do whatever you say. Well, well, will you go to the people of Nineveh? Yes, God, I'll go. And then he goes and he does what he needs to do. And then he drops it again. I can just see all these drops on this roller coaster. There's a big fish at the bottom of it. And you get some, some wet splashes. You see, I'm proposing something here. Bible land. I can see it. But what I like about this scene is it's quite obscure because it's, it's almost like the story of two cities. The city of one and the city of thousands. Because what Jonah did is he built a little booth for himself. And he remained in his city of one. He said, okay, God, show me what you're going to do to the city of thousands. Separated himself from the purposes of God in that moment, waiting for, for God to see what he was going to do. And I thought about that. How many of us are living in cities of one? We just sit back like, okay, God, show me what you are up to. But God has called us to engage the city of thousands. But God has called us with the good news of the gospel, not to stay in our comfort and just create a little space for ourselves that we can sit in and watch and observe, but we are called to engage the city of thousands. So maybe for you this morning, it's changing your perspective on where you're living. Are you just living in the world that you have created for yourself and satisfied in there and it's enough? Or are you saying, God, I'm going to go to the city of thousands with the gospel message of good news. And I'm calling my message this morning, Hearts on Display. Think about the Word of God, it's a mirror. When we lift it up, it shows us an image of our own hearts. And in this story, we see three hearts. We see the hearts of the Ninevites, we see the heart of Jonah, and then we see the heart of God, the heart of second chances, another opportunity. And as we look at these three hearts on display and what each one of them carried, I believe the word is going to be a mirror to all of our hearts and show us where we are at. Are we living just in the house of one or are we going for a city of thousands? It's a story of conviction. It's a story of comfort, and it's a story of compassion. The Ninevites were cut to the heart, and they were convicted. So their hearts displayed conviction. Secondly, Jonah just wanted to be comfortable from the very beginning. So he had a heart on display of his own comfort. And then the big story, the centerpiece, the whole message is where God's heart is revealed to people, which is a heart of compassion. So let's look first of all at Nineveh's convicted heart. You know what's amazing about this? It only took eight words for the whole city to turn from their evil ways back to God. Eight words. And it didn't even include the word repent. You know what's amazing about that? It's because when God does something, He backs it with His conviction and His power. And sometimes we're scared to go because, Lord, we don't have the words. We don't have to say we might just have... Jesus loves you, but if Jesus has called you to go out and say he loves you, he will back it with his kingdom, and there will be conviction. Eight words, guys. Therefore, yet in 40 days, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Afrikaans, net nog 40 dae, en Nineveh sal 
uitgewis, nee, see, 40 dae en Nineveh sal uitgewis wees, can't count. You know what, maybe it should have just been a Zulu man. Nineveh, ish. Do it. Just do. Enough. It's because it was backed by the purpose of God. And these people turned from their ways, and then the king proclaimed in that city, said, call out mightily to God, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. A war-seeking, pleasure-seeking, rebellious city who probably epitomized the seven deadly sins times a million turned from their evil ways. Eight words. We have a lot more than eight words. Are we using it? in the city of thousands, to proclaim the Word of God. I want to show this to you by means of illustration. I don't know who ever saw this movie, Suicide Squad. I haven't seen it. I saw the poster and I was a little bit shocked by it. If you have seen it, repentance right now. Just raise your hand. We'll pray for you. Some deliverance afterwards. But Suicide Squad, it looks, I saw the, the poster. I'm like, I don't like this much. Uh, there's a whole lot of like, evil things in there, and there's a book up, and there's some skulls and bloods and demons and satanic stuff, and it just it looks dark, right? And I kind of, when I saw this picture, it was consequently when we preached Jonah a couple of years ago, I saw this picture, and it made me thought of the Ninevites. That's probably the, the kind of modern-day image of these people. Just, just it's evil. It said that they were an evil city. And it says here that they were the worst heroes ever. These Ninevites thought that they were conquering the world. Just the armies, the overcoming. But you know what? When God saw the Ninevites, He had a different perspective. He had a redemption perspective. And He said, Nineveh, I'm going to come. And regardless of what you look like, I'm going to come over it and wipe it clean. That moment where you killed thousands of men and brutally beheaded them, I'm washing you clean over that. That moment where you, you captured women and used them for your own pleasure, I'm coming and I'm wiping it out. And he keeps going. He says, those children that you've sacrificed, Nineveh, I'm coming and I'm wiping it out because I see the Nineveh that I have created, a beautiful people. And God keeps going. You see, we sometimes want to stop. This is hard work. I need to paint this whole thing, guys. You need to cheer me on. So he keeps going and says, I'm going to forgive your sin. And you might consider yourselves being the worst heroes ever. But you know what? We'll see in a minute in the Gospels that Jesus called these people as heroes in the last days. Because he has plans for them. And he keeps going and keeps going. You see, I already want to give up because I know I'm on a time of the year this morning. But God just keeps going. He never gives up until he keeps wiping out all the filth in our lives, in our cities, in our communities, in our families, but we just want to give up. These guys' hearts were convicted, and they turned to God. And then Jesus even mentions the Ninevites. Matthew 12, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater 
than Jonah is here. What was Jesus saying? He said, I've done such a great job in reaching Nineveh that when the Son of Man returns, they'll rise and they'll be judging this generation who cannot even see the sign of Jesus in their midst. When God cleanses, He does a complete work. He does a complete work. And, and in all of this conviction, I'm like, Jonah, but come on. Why aren't you heart convicted? And I realize it's the tension of the self-righteous and the unrighteous. I once heard someone say it's more difficult to convince an unrighteous or a self-righteous man than an unrighteous man of their brokenness. And heaven welcomes the repentance of the unrighteous, but resists the haughty heart of the self-righteous. Because Jonah constantly just felt him in a self-righteous place. Lord, those people don't deserve it. Why would you even consider them? They're not even part of my nation. They are just they, they, they enemies. We don't like them. We hate them. They hate us. God, what are you doing remaining in his space? Of self-righteousness. I want to tell you a story of when this penny dropped for me of God's love for everyone. I was 16 years old, got invited on my first ever mission trip to another country. And it was literally on the border of Swaziland. So that was my like, yeah, go to another country, border of Swaziland. Here we go. It's a place called Nklazatsi. And we were there to minister. And what we did is we just did sports during the week. Um, with the kids and show the Jesus film and those kind of things. And one day they said, okay, today's strategy is we're going to be walking through the village and we're going to trust God to show our homes, show us homes so we can go knock on the doors and pray for people. So I'm with the fearless leader who's leading this thing. And he says, I think we should go to that house. So this little house was separated from the rest of the village up on the hill. So we go up there and um, the guy who was walking with us who needs to interpret the conversations with the people said, ah, he's not going inside the house. So after a little bit of conversation, he says, the son Goma lives there. So I'm not going inside, but you guys can. So we knock on the door. I'm 16 years old, guys. My first mission trip in a village somewhere on the border of South Africa. And I'm, I just wanted to run back home to mom. It's like, I'm not going in here. And this leader just opened up the door and we walked in. And in the corner sat a frail, small woman. Son Goma of that, of that village. In her brokenness, she just looked at us. I was walking in like this, looking for demons, ready to run any minute when the demon jumps on me. And this leader of mine, he just walked in boldly, and he said, can we speak to you for a few minutes? He said, yes, we went and sat down at her feet. And God unveiled my eyes, and I started seeing this woman just in need of the love of Jesus. And we shared the gospel, and she got saved that day. And we prayed with her. We prayed with her and we said, are you sick in your body anyway? She says, yes, I've got these little beads around my hand, the, the hands that were placed on me. Years back, when I was young, and when I take them off, my hands shrink in like this. And we knew there was a demonic force at work there. So we said, can you trust us that we can take these off and break that curse over you? And she was trembling and she took them off and she handed us to them and we broke the curse and she went like this. And her hands were free. And we committed her to the church in that village. And we celebrated that night that a Ninevite has come to Jesus. That's what God does when we go with the backing of his kingdom. Quick other story. We were in Belfast last year ministering uh, with our music and on the streets. So what we did is we busked on the streets. Eliana and Brian was there on the guitar and Eliana was singing. And 
is a dark space, um, the center of, of Belfast City in, in Northern Ireland. Not Belfast, up the road. The one a little bit higher up the road. <laughs> and uh, so we were just on the streets making music, and there's a whole lot of musicians busking around. So it's a bit of culture, but we were proclaiming the praises of Jesus. It's amazing when you walk in, then you feel the darkness. And after some songs, it definitely changes the atmosphere. We felt it. But we walked, we did what we did, and at some point there was a gentleman who came up to Eliana, and he's been standing far off, and he asked one of the people if he may speak to her. He comes up, and it's just tattoos everywhere, piercings at every possible space you can imagine. He walks up to her and he looks at her and he says, I am the devil. And then Eliana has this whole conversation with him. So she could have been intimidated. She could have maybe just have one word or three, I'm out of here, and run. And imagine someone comes up to you and looks at you now like, I'm the devil. And he says, will you keep singing, please? And then Eliana has this conversation with him and she sings, and obviously his heart was just stirred by the Spirit of God. Just a broken man. And then after some conversation, he, he was ready to go, and he, he looked at Leona straight in the face, and he said, well, um, you're going to be cursed because of what you guys are doing here, and you're singing. And Leona just looked at him and said, you know what, you are way too kind to be the devil. And I'm going to be praying for you. And she said, I'm going to trust God that in your dreams, Jesus is going to reveal himself to you. And we never saw that gentleman again. But sometimes we as a church are so scared to go into those dark places. Just like Jonah. Why was he scared? Gets me to my second point. Because Jonah had a comfortable heart. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Where was he? At the beginning of the chapter, exceedingly, what's the word there? Displeased. Because God loves the Ninevites. But the moment his comforts were touched, and his little city of one became a little bit more snugly, whew, exceedingly glad. And he puts his heart on display, and we see a man that is living purely for his own comforts. You know, it's one of the things that gets me about Jonah is that he lived with the confession of worship but not the conviction of it. He said, God, you are gracious, compassionate. He, 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 he praises God, slow to anger, rich in love. I knew that you would relent. God, you are, this is who you are. He had the confession but not the conviction. And I'm, I was just again, Lord, how many times do I sing stuff but... In the inside, I'm not believing it. I say, Lord, I'll go where you call me, but mm, when it gets uncomfortable, uh, I'm going to be exceedingly glad for the plants in my home because it's keeping me out of the sun. We've got to understand here that he had all the knowledge of who God is. He had probably the experience in his calling of what God is, even to himself. He has seen God being compassionate to him in the belly of the fish. But he did not live in that conviction for others. And we as a church have got to move beyond our singing to living with that conviction. We've got to move to a place where we start living the songs that we sing. We don't just express the words on a Sunday and it's good and it's, it's great. We actually start living out those very songs of worship, of conviction that we sing and shout on a Sunday morning. Jonah did not do this because he was in a place of being comfortable. A friend of mine told me such a funny story. He said when he was at a youth camp back in the day, 
just got saved, went to his first youth camp. They were singing that old school song, My Redeemer lives. Anyone in the house, you got that? Yeah, like super old hill song. He thought they were singing, My Demon lives. So he was like, My Demon. And the story is funny, and I guess someone prayed for him afterwards and, and released him of the demon that was living. But what it showed to me is sometimes we are so mindless. We just sing in our worship. Just, ah, it's a great song, it's a vibe, but we don't think about what we're singing. We've got to get to a place where we live from the conviction, not just the confession. Where we live from that place of like, God, I believe you, therefore I sing. God, I'm convicted of who you are, therefore I open my mouth with worship. I also believe that Jonah's greatest battle was not the battle with the call, but a battle with his comfort. See, some of us battle with the call. Wow, God, last night we had students up here who said that we want to be going into full-time campus ministry. They're feeling the call, and it's hard, and it's sacrifice. And I was so just blessed by our leadership, our campus leadership. said, guys, this is not an easy decision. It's going to cost you. But the greater battle that Jonah had was with his comfort. See, because we could say yes to Jesus and the call, but the moment it gets a little bit, uh, Sunday afternoon, I'm going to go take a nap. I know there's a team out in the streets praying for people, but mm, just a little bit. Maybe God has called you to be an evangelist on that Sunday afternoon. See, it's a tension we hold. And we've got to check our hearts. What does our heart show? What would have happened if Jonah asked, where to next, God? If eight words convicted 120,000 people of God's love, imagine what would have happened if he said, where next? God, you're amazing. You say to 120,000 souls, where next? Where can we go next, God? Whatever you say, I'll do. We've got to live from the conviction of our hearts. We've got to move away from the comforts of this life so that we can see God move powerfully. And then lastly, the most beautiful heart in this story, the heart that is the very reason we are in this room is God's compassionate heart. I love how he ends his rhetorical question. To Jonah, should I not be concerned for Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? It's just filled with compassion. These people are so lost, they don't know the right hand from their left. They are so far gone, they have no clue who they are. They have no idea where they've come from, they have no idea where they're going. And I love them. Should I not have compassion on these people? What I like about Jesus moving into, as Adam Avery said in the first server, the better Jonah. When Jesus saw the crowds, he echoed these things. He's, he was moved with compassion. The gospel says. When he saw the crowds, he was moved com with compassion because he saw sheep without a shepherd. Not knowing their left hand from their right. And when Jesus sees the brokenness of the families around us, the cities around us, the families that we are in, the places of work, He's constantly and always on the move with compassion. But we are the agents that shows and models and brings that compassion to people. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, are we ready to be carriers 
of the Father heart of God, of compassion to our world. Because His heart on display is all about compassion. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In the end, the heart of compassion was for both sides. It was for Jonah and it was for the Ninevites. Throughout the story of Jonah, God wanted to show him, Jonah, I love you too. I saved you out of the belly of a fish. I gave you a second chance. I gave you an opportunity again to do work for me. It's the Peter story. Peter thought once he denied Jesus, it's done and over with. I'm going fishing. And then Jesus walks back like, Peter, I'm giving you a second chance. I'm giving you another opportunity. He makes breakfast for him. And he comes from the ocean and says, eat. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. So go and fish. Tend to the sheep that I'm going to entrust to you. Feed the flock. Jonah had that opportunity. But sadly, his story simply ended in being displeased and angry. But God's compassion was equally available to him. And then God, full of compassion, relenting from disaster, just shining over the city, filled with evil. The most interesting thing in this whole book for me, who has the final word? God always has the final word. We never hear from Jonah again. There's no other prophecies in the Bible. Jesus mentioned him again, but it wasn't about Jonah. It was just about what Jonah modeled in Jesus. It was more about the Ninevites that turned. And Jesus saying, look, if that people could do it in that city, you as a generation in front of me, come on. You can turn because there's a loving Father available to each one of you. So I want to end this morning saying that we all find ourselves in different walks of life. It is clear in this story that God's heart is just overflowing with compassion for every single one. For those of us who call ourselves the children of God, there's compassion available. You might find yourself in the belly of a fish because maybe you have been disobedient and you've been running. Maybe you've been losing the battle with the comforts of this life. The things that you bow before in the week and you come on a Sunday and you just try and get rid, rid of it again. But the week, it's so hard. And you just, just bow before those idols again. It's, just, it's lovely, Lord. It's comfortable. It's nice. You see, this message is equally for the church as it is for the unbelievers. God's heart of compassion is available to you, His church, this morning. And then, there might be some of you in this room who feel, feels like a Ninevite. Maybe have lived like a Ninevite. Like if I had to say the things I've done, no man of God would want to speak to me. Just like the man of God didn't want to speak to the city of Nineveh. I'm beyond that now. I believe especially for you this morning, there's an opportunity to feel the compassionate heart of God over your life. So if I can do this for a city, let me, let me take your life and repaint it. Set it on a new course. Give you a clean canvas, a new start, a new beginning. Wash you wider than snow so that I, the artist, can come and start painting my picture on your life and etch in you the very purposes that I have for your life. 
doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. I am ready to come to you today and touch you deeply and clean you so that in the end you will rise with the Ninevites and with Jesus and you will be secure because he's done it out of his heart of compassion. So this morning, I want you to leave here with God's final word over your life. Not your past word over your life. Not your false identity word over your life. Not your parents' word over your life. Not your own word over your life. You know, this is, we, do, we do the enemy's work for him. When we do something stupid and make a mistake, we condemn ourselves. And the hardest person often to forgive is just ourselves. And Jesus is saying, I have forgiven you. Can you move beyond that place of just hating yourself for what you've done? I'm ready to welcome you like I've welcomed this city. Ask the team to just sing two choruses of a song. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear it as a prophetic proclamation over your life this morning. That the cross of Jesus Christ has the final word. And I believe today He is going to cancel any other false words that you have thought is final. And he's saying, I am replacing it today, this morning, with my cross of compassion. The cross has the final word. Thank you, Jesus. The cross has the final word. The cross has the this morning if you want to respond this morning say God I need to exchange the final word I have over my life with your final word over my life first of all for the believers there's something that the Holy Spirit has showed you that you've made final that he needs to come and exchange with the gospel again I believe he wants to do that today so if you feel that conviction very simple. Just put up your hand and take it down. It's between you and Jesus. It's great. Just lift it up and take it down. That's awesome. More hands going up. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are proclaiming over their lives a new word, a new identity, a new understanding, a new calling that you're shifting them out of darkness once again into your marvelous light and that Holy Spirit you're convicting them today of who they are in Christ Jesus seated with Christ in heavenly places the old has gone the new has come they are a new creation in Christ Jesus that is the final word and we thank you for that this morning thank you Jesus secondly if you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior you feel like a Ninevite like an outsider And you've been saying, would a man of God ever come to me and tell me that God loves me or a woman of God? 
that's you, would you just put up your hand and take it out? It's awesome. Anyone else? It's amazing. Anyone else? You want to say, I accept Jesus this morning. It's a final word over my life. It's amazing. Can we give God an applause for the people who raised their hands? Thank you, Jesus. Can we all stand? I'm going to pray for us to end this moment. And then afterwards, there are people up front who would love to pray with you, especially if you put up your hand to follow Jesus today. You need to be connected to someone that's going to walk this journey with you that will keep telling you about God's compassionate love over your life. And maybe you need to go speak to a connect group leader this week if you are part of this church or a pastor. Maybe you just need to come up front if you've been saying, I've believed a false word over my life. Can you pray with me so that God can truly set me free from the disbelief in my heart? Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. Lord, thank you that they will be a church known to move away from the city of one into the city of thousands, Lord. Lord, thank you that you have shifted people out of darkness into light today and that their own lives are on a new trajectory of being focused on your kingdom, Lord, because they are now believing the final word of the cross of Jesus over themselves. Lord, may we always walk in the final word of you and the final authority of you over who you say we are. And may we be a force, Lord, that moves away from our comfort so that we can be the compassionate hands and feet of our Father in our generation. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Thank you Pierre.